0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can sing those words, fighting a battle you've already won. Thank you that uh, we don't need to be slaves to fear, and, uh, and Lord, I pray that you just continue to take our time of worship and draw our eyes to you. Help us to fixate on you. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I like to think, you know, there's a lot of things I like to think about myself, but um, I'd like to think I'm discerning. But uh, sometimes I really kind of drop the ball there as far as that goes fact, last week I ordered a pair of shoes, okay, 70% off. How about that? That's a pretty good deal. And then the website disappeared uh, after, they, after they took my money. My wife seems to think they're never going to come, and uh, I'm beginning to think the same thing. So maybe I need to be just a little bit more discerning as far as that goes. Um, I'm also a sucker. Uh, yeah, I mention every week whenever I'm preparing a sermon, I'll look up just to try to find a couple other sermons on the text. So I'll go to YouTube and just say sermons on and whatever our text is. You know, type that in there. And you always see this come up on there. Best sermon ever on whatever. Best Easter sermon ever. And I'm a sucker for that every time. Best sermon. I got to hear this one. Uh, And I go there. And usually, you know, I don't know who put best sermon ever. It was the guy's mother or something like that. Because it just wasn't that hot of a sermon, I got to say. But guys, if we could start putting that on my sermons when they go online. Best sermon ever. I think we could like triple our viewership. Get it up to six or seven, something like that. We, we get get up there. We, we could try the best sermon ever, or maybe oh no, go with this one. Make sure you watch this before it's taken down. I have no idea what that means, but that always lures me in too. Oh, I don't know what's on there, but uh, it's usually nothing. But they put that on there to try to trap you uh, to to watch it. But um, when I talk about the sermon that begins in Matthew chapter five, goes through Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. The sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think there is is any, even a little bit of an exaggeration for me to say best sermon ever, okay? It's not going to be my sermon, but the best sermon ever that was preached by the greatest preacher ever as we look into, again, what we often call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 and 2, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. By the way, when you look at that historically and geographically, put that together, the mountain was probably what we would look at and say is more of a rolling hill that he went up onto. Uh, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them saying. Now, just a couple things just in general about this sermon. First of all, it is kind of interesting that... Uh, that when he goes up there, he sits down. So maybe we don't even, shouldn't even call this the greatest sermon ever preached, but the greatest lesson ever taught, because the sitting down was the posture of a teacher. We still use that today. Like in a college, you say somebody has the chair. You know, they have the chair in the history department or the chair in this department or whatever like that. The teacher is the person in the chair. In Catholicism, uh, when the pope speaks ex-cathedral, Uh, I believe that idea is the idea that he is speaking from the chair, is what it it is saying. It is teaching from that position of authority. If you go to the end of chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is, it, it says that he taught, they were amazed because he taught us one having authority. Okay, so I thought just to get in the spirit of things, instead of me standing up the whole time and you all sitting, we would do it like we were on the Sermon on the Mount. So I'll sit down, and I want you all to stand up during the entire sermon. Uh, People head for the doors right away. Yeah, I knew that wouldn't sell, but I thought I tried a little bit. The other thing that we see in the sermon here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples. His disciples come to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them. I do think the antecedent of the word them is specifically disciples. Okay, at the end of chapter 4, Jesus is healing and he's sharing the gospel and uh, people are beginning to follow him, but it says here now he goes up on this hill and he's going to preach the disciples come to him, those that he has chosen, uh, and he's going to teach them. Now, I think there was a crowd surrounding them, but I think I've seen some pictures like this online where they show the disciples close by him and then others surrounding. I think that's how it was. So he is specifically now talking to them. He is those who are following him. He is not, if you want to say it like this, preaching so much the gospel. Um, he's preaching to those about living in the kingdom. You say, well, don't we all live in the kingdom? I don't think the Bible teaches that. The Bible tells us that we become part of his kingdom when we are born again into his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. So he is talking very specifically to his followers here. And he's saying, you know, here's some things I want you to know about kingdom life. And this sermon, well, it's been called the Manifesto of His Kingdom. It has been called the constitution of his kingdom. This is how you live in the kingdom of Jesus Christ is, is basically what it's saying there. And remember that Jesus told us that his kingdom was not of this world. So we're going to find that some of the things about this teaching are going to be very upside down. Uh, John Stott called the Sermon on the Mount Christian counterculture. What he's saying is things are going to be different in my kingdom. We are to live differently. We don't have to worry so much about fitting in. Uh, that actually would be our problem if we fit in too much. But we are called more to stand out. We are called to live differently. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, when P- uh, Paul preached, they said, Hey, you're preaching to us some strange things here. We don't completely understand what you're saying. Uh, and first Peter... Uh, Uh, Peter wrote to the church and he said, Hey, you guys got to understand people aren't going to understand you anymore. They're going to look at you and say, how come you're not like us? Something's a little different here. Something's unique. Something's unusual. So we're going to dig into this uh, and look at how this is very counter to a lot of the ways that we're used to living. Jesus says, this is how you live. This is how you operate in my kingdom. This is what kingdom living really looks like. And the other thing that I want to make sure we understand as we go through this, we have a tendency with Scripture, and we all do this. I I said, you know, we we put our little stenciled verses up on the wall and everything like that. We like to pluck verses out. And we really do that with the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we take the Beatitudes, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, and we say, oh, that's the most important thing that, that we need to look at. But what we want to understand is Jesus taught this whole sermon through. It's all connected. And we're going to see how these... Uh, if you want to say the building blocks of this sermon go together. In fact, we're going to go through, I think it's verse number 12 or 13, where Jesus goes in and talks about us being the salt of the earth. And that wasn't, you know, Jesus didn't say at the end of the Beatitudes, okay, we're done with that. Now, let's turn to this other section of your syllabus, and now I'm going to teach you on this. He was just preaching straight through, and that saltiness goes back to what we're going to talk about today. We are to live as salt of the earth. Well, we're going to see what that looks like uh, as far as how you are to live as salt of the earth. So, we go uh, to the verse that we looked at last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, if indeed uh, we can call this Sermon on the Mount the Constitution for God's kingdom... This would be, I guess, the preamble, y'all remember enough, of history and government classes to remember the whole United States Constitution? No, forget it. (laughs) Okay, not really. It's kind of funny. I I used to ask people, you know, how big do you think the Constitution is? People have this vision of volumes and volumes. I mean, you can sit down and read the Constitution in one sitting easily. It's seven articles. None of them are too long, and then you have the 20-some amendments added to it. It's not that big. But at the beginning, you might remember, there's this paragraph that says, We the people... In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, provide for a common defense, ensure the blessings of, wait, wait, the the tranquility for ourselves and our future and our posterity, something like that. Uh, Anyway, peace for uh, future generations is in there. General welfare, all those things, okay? Basically, say, hey, this is what it's all about. This is the foundation we're going to lay here in this opening paragraph. Well, the foundation for everything we're going to talk about can be found in what we looked at last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize that they have a poverty spiritually, in other words, I need God okay? I don't have all the answers. I'm not all, all there. I need Him. And if we can just learn, you know, that first basic step of recognizing our spiritual poverty, our need of a Savior, our need of the King in our life every day, my need of a Savior in my marriage, my need of my Savior as I pastor, my need of my Savior as I try to be the type of friend that I want to be and help people, I need Him every day. If we could just recognize that and remember that, we've got a good start. But He doesn't end there at all. In fact, this is such an important theme that the next couple couple of beatitudes continue that idea for the next one he said blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted now i should say i'm last week i spent a whole week on blessed are the poor in spirit this week we're gonna through the rest of them and, and on into the salt I could spend a whole week on each one of these. And I say that ahead of time so that you think, well, you know, he's kind of missing this. I am going to miss some things here. We're going to kind of get the whole idea and the the gist of, of everything that Jesus is saying in the sermon. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he says, okay, blessed are those who mourn. And again, this is a verse we love to pull out of context. You know, we're gonna we're at a funeral. Blessed are those that mourn, you'll be comforted. Okay, that is a great truth, and there's actually nothing wrong with saying that. But what is actually being talked about here, when you look at it, is blessed are those who mourn and are heartbroken about sin, and specifically about their own sin. Okay, that is those that, that are mourning. Uh, they look and they realize, hey, I and again counterculture for sure we'll oftentimes have a culture and i hate to to get too much into if you want to say psychology or um yeah i guess that's what you want to say i don't have another word for it uh we have two three folks in our church that are trained in the area of counseling and everything like that and i'm sure understand it a lot better than i do but what i do know is that many times in the in the in our culture what we're trying to do is tell everybody that nothing is their fault they haven't done anything wrong nothing is ever our fault uh, i think we owe a lot of that to old siggy freud uh but uh, you know it is that idea that everything we can blame on somebody else and but jesus says here hey we need to understand that yes you're a unique creature in my image yes that is a wonderful thing but you're also part of a fallen race Okay, and we want to understand that, that I want to be confessing and realizing uh, where I am. So, not only blessed are those who are poor in spirit, but blessed are those who mourn and we're beginning again to see ourselves last week we showed this connection between the poverty of spirit and closeness to God but again we're seeing this when I'm emptied of myself when I understand my need when I'm standing before God I see my own poverty I see my own need uh, I am able to draw close to him seeing that more as we go through so then we go into blessed are the meek okay now that is not a word that any of us cherish being called oh he's pretty meek we don't think of that as a compliment. However, when you think through Scripture, most people, if you say, who's the greatest character of the Old Testament? Now, the greatest character of both Old and New Testament is Jesus, if you really study it. But, uh, but the greatest character of the Old Testament, most people say Moses, okay? He is one of the two people in the Bible that is called meek. In the New Testament, who is the only person who's really called meek? Jesus, that's right. So we got Moses and Jesus. It's a good thing. Well, what is this meekness? Meekness is harnessing of the power for the glory of God, okay? Is, in other words, I don't have to flaunt the power. I don't have to flaunt my strength. I don't have to flaunt what I know, but is harnessing that power for the glory of God. So if you look at all three of these that we looked at, okay, the poverty of the spirit, the mourning, the meekness, we're beginning to you know, move towards this idea of it's not about me. And therefore, we move to the next step. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. My favorite meal. Write this down. Uh, no, but the thing I, I like, i actually kind of bummed here. Josh, you guys are having that spaghetti supper. I'm not going to be here. We're going to be gone. I might have to yeah, cancel my wife's birthday trip to be here after <gasps> uh, getting supper. Just, just so you know, I'm doing it for. Sacrificing for you all in the church ministry. Uh, but, uh, but I love spaghetti. I, I just have always, that's just number, from the time I was a little kid. What do you want for your birthday? Spaghetti. And I like meat sauce or meatballs with it. Just I mean, that's, that's the best way to have the spaghetti. But it's kind of funny whenever uh, we'll have that at home, and Frances will make it for me, she'll say, I'm going to have a little salad with mine and some garlic bread. Do you want some? My answer is always no. Now, I'm not opposed to garlic bread. Pro garlic bread. I'm not opposed to salad. I even like salad. Uh, but when we're having spaghetti, I don't want to sacrifice one little inch in my stomach. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm no, no, sorry, I just want to be able to eat all the spaghetti that I, ha- that I can possibly have. So, you know, she, she offers every time I'm making some garlic bread, you want some? No, I want all the room reserved for spaghetti. I have that. I want it to be completely empty so that I can take all that in. As you look at these four together, you have this idea of emptying of self, emptying of the things that are going to bring me glory, emptying of the thing, the junk I'm going to fill my life up with that is meaning so that I can be empty and wise, so that God can fill me with his righteousness. So those first three. Beatitudes help us get hungry if you will help us get so that we have room for God to fill us up with him and his righteousness And then once we become filled with his righteousness watch out Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy again. Don't pluck this one out of context righteousness produces mercifulness Did I say that right Uh, when we are filled with God's righteousness. We will show mercy Now, on the other hand, when we are filled with ourselves and when we have extra sin in our life, we become very critical and very judgmental. Okay? Now, don't miss that, folks. That's important. Sometimes we think righteousness. That means I get to look down on everybody and think I'm better than everybody else. But righteousness produces mercy in my life. Now, you know, you got to take some of the advantages when you get an old guy, old, old pastor. You know, you got a lot of disadvantages, I know. But one thing you have is, been around a long time, seen a lot of different things, so I get to tell you the stories. Seen this many times, and you can believe it, because my wife will back me up. Um, that's, that's why you can believe me. But, uh, the, uh, but, you know, I've been in different, like, church leadership meetings where they're talking about somebody and maybe having to deal with somebody who has misbehaved. Well, I mean... Stolen money, you know, that type of thing, uh, had, uh, had an affair, you know, something like that, and they have to deal with it. I can always watch when you see the different person in church leadership, you know, who is there and just is irate, you know, let's hang them, uh, you know, that, t- that type of thing. You can al- almost always guarantee you that that person later on, something is going to come out in their life, they're hiding something. Because that is not the response of a righteous person to not show mercy, okay? So I say be, be somewhat aware of that because true righteousness is going to produce mercy in our life. Now, I want to you know, make sure I'm clear on that. There are still consequences for activity. Uh, you do something wrong, I mean. You do something wrong. There are consequences in society. Um, but, you know, for example, I mean, you know, let's say you know, we have a, a man on our elder board, uh, Larry, I'm sorry, Oh, I used the word Larry because we didn't have any Larrys, but there's a Larry here today. So I need to change to Fred. We got any Freds? Anybody named Fred? Okay, Fred. Uh, Fred's our elder, and Fred, uh, he... <laughs> Sorry, I, used to, I don't know why Larry was always my random name I went to, but I can't, can't do that anymore. Uh, but uh, so Fred, uh, you know, he, he has messed up. You know, he has, he has done wrong. I'm not saying, okay, Fred, there's, there's no consequences, which is all. I'm not saying that. Uh, He still has consequences, and we still want to do what will help him. But I'm not sitting there looking at him like, I would never do what he has done. Uh, You know, I am way above that. There still might be some things that are going, hey, somebody breaks in and robs the church. Pastor, would you like to press charges? Yes, I would. (laughs) Shouldn't you be merciful? No, I'd like to press charges. Uh, That's the system that we have. That's how things are going to work in this earthly kingdom that we have. That's how things are designed. I'm still pressing charges. Somebody breaks in my house. I'm still going to press charges. No, no, you have to show mercy. Uh, Well, again, Jesus is talking about the areas of the heart. And and when I start to develop this attitude of self-righteousness, where somehow I'm more deserving than somebody else, I'm totally missing the, the boat. Okay, righteousness does produce a spirit of mercy where I want to do everything that I can to, to help this person who has fallen and have that spirit. Now, again, you know, I just want to make it clear I'm not saying you throw out any system of punishment or anything like that because we are not right now in that perfect kingdom. Okay, now, blessed are the merciful. Let's go to the next one. What's our next step? We are pure in heart. Um, this word purity here doesn't really mean cleanliness. You might remember the old uh, soap commercials. All soaps are clean, but only this one is pure. Anybody remember the pure soap? Ivory, Ivory, yeah. Ivory soap. It's just soap. No perfumes, no anything like that. It's just soap. It's just pure. Well, we are all made clean through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. What it's talking about here is a purity, a focus, a singularity of our focus on Jesus Christ and His glory that we become you know, fixed on him, that we become focused on him. So we're seeing these steps go through there, and we move to the next one then. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Okay? This again, this whole sermon, this is not a prescription of Jesus for world peace. That's not what, he, what he's giving there. He's talking about us, how... To us about how to live in the kingdom. He's talking to his disciples and saying, this is what kingdom looks like. Blessed are the peacemakers. By the way, the very best way to be a peacemaker is to introduce folks to the prince of peace. Do everything that we can to introduce them to Jesus Christ, who is the one who can bring them uh, peace in their minds, in their hearts. Who he can bring them a peace with their father because he can bring them forgiveness of sin. The very best thing that we want to do there is introduce folks to the prince prince of peace there are all types of other principles in scripture that talk about how we can have peace a soft answer that turns away wrath a person who watches his words guards his lips uh dear lord set a watch over my mouth you know so that I'll do things there's all types of great principles there but the very best way uh to be a peacemaker is to introduce folks to the prince of peace now folks come on what a great list we're doing all these things, we're, we're stepping in here, we're learning these kingdom rules, and we are, uh, we're following them. So now, at this point in our lives, everybody loves us, right? Everybody loves us. What's the, what's the next beatitude? Blessed are you, <laughs> wait a minute, what's the next step here? When others revile and persecute you. And utter all types of evil against you falsely, on my account, come back to one of those words for a second there. Uh, that, that word falsely. But uh, but he goes on, I'm sorry, let, took, take a break there and look at uh, Timothy for a second there. Paul wrote to him and said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, now we, uh, we like to underline promises in our Bible. Good thing to do, great thing to do. Maybe you get one particular color of highlighter and mark all the promises. That's a wonderful thing to do. I'm not mocking that at all. But this is a promise we don't get too excited about, okay? And this is a promise. All those who live godly. In other words, when we do all these things, we still need to remember that this kingdom, this kingdom is not our own. We're not of the same kingdom. So we are living the right life in Jesus' kingdom, we're doing the things that he has told us to do. That doesn't mean we're going to be loved. He was not loved. The prophets are not loved. So I cannot strive for popularity. And folks, I like to say things like this every once in a while because I want you to hold me accountable to this. When I am preaching the word of God, when I'm studying the word of God, when I'm preparing a message, I cannot think to myself, what do people want to hear or what should I avoid saying because this is not going to be popular. They're not going to like it. I cannot do that. Okay, because, listen, the Old Testament prophets, they preached the word of God. They didn't say, huh, how's, how's the response going to be? <laughs> they're going to get killed, probably. Uh, you know, It's not going to be a great thing. Jesus did not hold back and say, okay, wait a minute, how are people going to like this? I mean, he knew how people were going to respond. He knew what ended up happening, and yet he is preaching the truth. And I like to say things like that every once in a while because I want you to call me in. I mean, sometimes if you need to write me an email, do it nice, okay? Don't hurt my feelings. But if you need to write me an email and say, Pastor, I think you're kind of tippy-toeing there. I think you're trying to make sure that you're not offending anybody with what you're saying there. That's not what I'm called to do. I am called to preach straight on out the truth because... Uh, And I ought to understand that when I do that, it doesn't mean everybody's going to love me. I am in a world where I am an alien. I want to learn to be part of his kingdom. Jesus said again, my kingdom is not of this earth. I want to live and walk right in there. I'm going to do the right things, and I I want to do that. But that doesn't mean that everybody is going to love me because I do. And we have that mindset sometimes. Man, if I just do the right thing, if I, you know, I, I tried my best and things got worse or they got worse or it didn't work out. Sorry. <laughs> kind of worked that way for Jesus, too. Okay? And we have a tendency to believe that, you know, as long as I'm being good, everything is going to go the way I think it should. Now, verse number 12 back in Matthew chapter 5 says, So rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great at he- heaven. For so persecuted the prophets, they persecuted the prophets that were before you. He says, basically, what he's saying here is it may not produce the results that you want exactly on this earth and everything may not go great, but, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so worth it. Great is your reward in heaven. It will be worth it in that heavenly kingdom, which is the one uh, that we want to be most concerned with. Now, I want to back up for a second uh, when Jesus was talking, he said, "They're going to revile and persecute you, and say all manner against you, all manner of evil against you." And the word he has in there is falsely. Okay, uh, you were just trying to follow me, and they have accused you something falsely. And this is something to be very careful of. Whenever we start talking about persecution, sometimes we we miss the point of if we are persecuted for doing right and following Jesus, good. If we are persecuted for being a jerk and an obnoxious person, uh, bad. Uh, In other words, we want to make sure we're being persecuted for the right reason. We want to make sure that we are not being persecuted just because we are flat out being obnoxious. read an interesting verse this week in Isaiah chapter 42 where it was prophesying about Jesus. And it said that uh, Jesus did not spend his time crying in the streets. In other words, he wasn't calling attention to himself. He wasn't being obnoxious. What he was doing is the will of, of the Father. What he was doing is loving people, and doing the will of the Father. That's what he did. And they hated him because of it. And we can expect that when we follow them closely, there will be those who hate us because of it. But we want to make sure that we are not, you know, oh, I've been persecuted. <laughs> no, you weren't persecuted for Jesus. You were persecuted because you were obnoxious. Uh, and and we, we want to be careful of that. We want to make sure that the persecution uh, that they're giving us is false. In other words, I'm seeking to follow God and do the right thing. If the persecution comes, if people don't like it, so be it. Okay. Now, I want to move into that next little verse uh, about the soul. But before I do, just one other thing I want to mention. Since we have looked at these Beatitudes, remember the blessed word? Give me another word for blessed there. Happy. Okay? Happy is the idea. We're talking about a happy life. I don't know how many of you have been over to Josh and Hannah's house uh, on the front porch Um, They have this little thing. (laughs) I don't understand why Josh lets Hannah put that out there. I really don't. Uh, But but she does. But this phrase here, okay, when we think about this idea that God wants me happy, okay, I I just want to look at that for a second because I'm going to say I agree, but I don't agree. Okay. Here's what I mean. This has been used by so many people to do wrong. Okay. Well, God wants me happy. So therefore, I don't have to obey him at all. I'm just going to do what I want to do because I think this will make me happy. And we go chasing after things that will make us happy. They don't, but we think they will. Uh, so we go after be on that line that God wants me happy. But you could also make a case that God does want you happy. Understanding this, God says, happy is the man whose God is the Lord. He's following him. Happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. And these things are a pathway, if you will, to happiness. So, Pastor, are you saying God wants me happy or not? I'm saying, yes. (laughs) God wants you happy, but if to you, you take that phrase and say, that means I can do whatever I stinking want to do because I think it'll make me happy, then you've totally missed the point. Okay? Yes, blessed. This is a happy life that God has called us to but follow through the whole way get to that eighth beatitude blessed are those who are persecuted okay it may not be exactly what we think of okay I, everything is going to go my way health wealth and prosperity I'm going to have it all and I'm going to be as happy as a corn dog and I'm going to go through a life like this that's not what we uh, Jesus is saying at all uh, but does God want us happy yes but please remember happy blessed is the man who's God is the Lord. Okay, very, very solidly there. And you can talk to Josh and Hannah about that thing on their porch later. Uh, but, okay, so now let's move on to the salt thing, okay? Because, again, Jesus didn't take a break here. Okay, refreshment time. I need you back in here in five minutes. We're going to change topics here. Now we're going to talk about salt, okay? Just flowed right in there, okay? I'm going to tell you what kingdom life looks like, and in so doing, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, now if the salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, what does salt do? Okay, we could do just a little, you know, okay, what's salt a picture of? Salt adds flavor to life. Would you agree? Or it brings out the flavor, what does salt do? Does it actually add it or bring it out? I don't know. It brings it out. Okay. Uh, anyway, salt makes it taste better. <laughs> does that? Uh, salt. Uh, I guess you can put it on the uh, sidewalk. Keeps you safe. <laughs> that seems like a nice thing. Uh, salt does. Salt uh, does. How about uh, it promotes thirst? That's good. Okay, if our lives are salty in that way, in other words, we're living according to the kingdom. People see our lives and they realize it's that thirst, that emptiness. I need that living water that is Jesus Christ. Hopefully they would look at us and it would promote some thirst. Another thing that salt does is it preserves. Okay, we have, and uh, maybe I need to talk mostly to people my age around there, because I think we say things like this more, you know, the good old days and things are getting worse. Things are getting worse all the time. Our culture is just becoming so corrupt and everything. Sometimes I think so, sometimes I don't. Just to be real honest with you, I I am a background noise guy. I know this is weird to some of you. Some of you can relate. But, like, even when I'm studying, I like to have something on in the background. I'm not paying any attention to it. You know, my wife, a lot of times, will walk, walk in and say, are you watching this? <laughs> no, I didn't even know what was on. Uh, but it's background noise. This morning, I got up to study a sermon, and uh, I put me on uh, MeTV, 69.3. <laughs> and uh, their marathon this weekend is all in the family, so yeah, so I prepared your sermon while listening to Archie Bunker this morning. Uh, but but um, but but the but, you know, I was on in the background, I, I did look, and it amazed me on both the episodes that I was watching how relevant the issues were. What I meant is they were like, like the same things. The scenery was different, you know, the house was different, his chair was different, uh, the styles were different, but the issues are so much the same. And I think, you know, many times when you were like, okay, things are worse than ever, yeah, sometimes I think so, and sometimes I think, well, you can find some places in history where things were a lot worse. I don't really know. Do you think Jesus is coming back soon? I certainly hope so, and yes, I do. I believe that Jesus' return is imminent. It could come at any time, but I believe they thought that in the time of the Bible, too. Uh, so, And and they were right. Jesus could come at, at any time. So, Pastor, what do you think, though, about our culture? What do you What do you think about it? Don't, don't you think it's getting worse all the time? Don't you think it's becoming more rancid, more corrupt, or anything like that? Quite possibly that is true. Uh, in fact, we could say, pro- I, I, if you want me to, I'll disagree with you completely. Yes, it is. Things are worse than ever. Let's go back to the good old days when Archie Bunker, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, let, let's, however you want to see that, and, and as we look at the this of our society, I think what we need to do is ask ourselves a question What is it that's supposed to preserve culture? What is the preserving ingredient? salt. Who is the salt? We are the salt. Okay. So we want to blame everything else. Okay. And listen, if you, if your passion is, well, I'm going to get involved in this cause and I'm going to lead a parade and I'm going to lead a, uh, you know, a demonstration, I'm going to write letters and we're going to do this, or I'm going to run for office. We're going to try to do that. I don't, honestly, I'm not mocking you at all if that is your passion, but I am saying starting place number one. If you're looking at a world and saying, what can we do about our messed up world? This is the place to start. Jesus said, you have become part of my kingdom. Let's live that kingdom life. Let's start right here. If we're going to impact the world, if we're going to impact the world, our first calling is this calling to be salt. <laughs> about a month and a half ago, I quoted to need to watch my quotes go back to stott he was great uh, or a good theologian and stuff like that uh but uh you know a few weeks ago or a few months ago i quoted the beatles <laughs> talking about joshua needing help help i need somebody's help um and then uh then we qu- qu- uh, quoted bob dylan and uh, his thing about you're going to serve somebody okay i'm going to get maybe i don't know if i'm going up or down with this one uh but today i'm going to quote michael jackson for you okay Amen. (laughs) All right. Great. Who's next? The devil. Okay. um, But uh, we're going to go. Michael Jackson, I'll quote him. Uh, Some of you remember he had a song called, I'm talking about the man in the mirror, and I'm asking him to change his ways. And I think it's the church more than anything. Again, again, should we be involved in different things. I'm not telling you not to in any way, but I am saying starting place for our impact on this world is for us to look in the mirror and say, hey, hey, l- let me, let me quote Second uh, Chronicles 7, 14. The Bible says, if my people, God said, my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then, I'm sorry, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal their land. So if we want to start, uh, impacting our culture if we want to start being the salt preserving this culture may we ask ourselves questions like am i begging god for help understanding that i am poor without him am i confessing my sin understanding the price that was paid for my sin in jesus christ am i living with this power that is inside me harnessed for his kingdom and his glory not to promote myself Am I hungering and thirsting after righteousness because I'm not filled with every other thing? And does that righteousness produce a humility and a purity seeking after him? And does it make me more of a peacekeeper because of the way I'm living? Uh, if I'm going to save the world, this is the place to start. <laughs> I just put that word up here this week, salty. And I know that, you know, maybe pastor's going to cuss today. Uh, you know, that's what they describe, salty language or, or so- something like that. But, uh, but I do want you to think about that. I am to be... In the world in which I live, I am to be the salt. Jesus says that. And, and he didn't. it's not a random statement, okay? He's gone through this whole thing. He said, my kingdom, my kingdom, not of this world. My kingdom is not going to be the same. You're, you're going to look a little different here. The Bible talks about us being peculiar. It doesn't mean weird. It means unique. You're going to stand out a little bit here if you follow these things. But here's how I want you to live. Here's what kingdom life. is a weird kingdom. There's no weapons. There's no parades. There's no castles. I mean, this is a weird kingdom. Nothing makes sense that, you know, as they looked at this, say, what is this kingdom? This doesn't seem to make sense to us. And Jesus said, yeah, exactly. My kingdom's not of this world. You need to understand. Can you think about how much, if we really got that truth into our head, his kingdom is not of this world, how much that would impact our lives? if we just understood that? How differently... This, folks, is the worldview of Jesus Christ himself. How much we could have his worldview if we understood that his kingdom is not of this world. And what does life in his kingdom look like? It looks like these things here. And what is the result of that? Then we are the salt of the earth. Today, God has you, I think, for one thing to say, first of all, are you part of his kingdom? Well, everybody is. No. No. The Bible makes it very plain that we are to be born again into the kingdom of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become part of his kingdom. And the second question is, hey, if I'm going to change the world, here's where to start. I want to take a look in the mirror right there and say, hey, wait a minute. It's, it's, <laughs> Revival is not going to come to this country as a result of the Democrats or the Republicans. <laughs> shocker I know I can't believe that uh, revival is going to come to this country as a result of God sending it. But, it but again his phrase is if my people my people follow him uh, the team's going to come back up and we are going to, uh, to leave standing and I'm going to stand with my arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one paid it all gave it all How's that go both he paid it all, he gave it all uh, amen we're going to do that as, as we do that uh, as i I, w- I want to remind you, uh, I would love the opportunity if if the talk of a kingdom is just strange to you what, what are you talking about Jesus kingdom i don't understand what I don't get it, and you have any questions. I would love to take them I'd, lo- I'd love to t- talk to you about it, whether that means you know right here afterwards or whether that means I could set up an appointment and talk to you sometime this week because I never want, you know, our, our. I want our gatherings first and foremost to be worship. I want to look to Him. I want to, you know, respond to His Word, but I never. I never want it to just be okay. We're done. Okay, we've looked at the Word of God. I never want you to walk out and say, oh, "Okay, we're done." We're not done. You know, where where does it go from here? What is the next step as far as living this kingdom life is concerned? You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648.